welcome uh, to our, our new series, uh, the, the title of which is Happily Ever After, Building a Marriage That Lasts uh, Forever. And when James asked me if I wanted to participate in this series, uh, I said yes with some fear and, and trepidation to it because inevitably what will happen is I will have problems in my marriage if I speak on this subject, just like I don't like to talk about money or anything else because that means that uh, God will challenge me uh, in that area. Nevertheless, though, I have uh, I accepted uh, the challenge from James, and, and I am excited to talk about a really important subject. Now, I have been married for uh, close to, getting close to 19 years, uh, and uh, some of you have socks that are older uh, than, than that. Uh, so the question sort of comes up, what could a guy that hasn't, been even, hasn't even been married for 19 years uh, yet have to say about building a marriage that lasts a lifetime? There's some of you out here who built a marriage that lasted a lifetime. So uh, what could I say to you about that? Well, I, I can't say a whole lot uh, to you uh, about that. What do I know? Uh, well, not much, but I, I know more than that guy knew right there. Uh, that's the picture uh, that was taken the Sunday afternoon after I asked Cassie to marry me. Uh, and uh, that was in our, my parents' front yard. I, it's the Saturday night before I proposed to her at the gazebo over in Milestone. Uh, look how happy uh, we are uh, in that photo. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a good day. You know, you get all your, then you get all your cutesy engagement pictures taken, you know, hugging each other in unnatural poses, uh, all kinds of things. And back in those days, there weren't, uh, there wasn't social media to share it on. So you actually had to get pictures printed and carry them around and show people, right? And nobody could immediately leave comments online about how cute you are or anything else. Uh, so it was, uh, we didn't know what we were missing, uh, back then. And then you go into uh, six months of wedding planning purgatory, right? Where you're just, especially if you're the dude, you're just waiting for it to, uh, waiting for it to happen. Uh, that guy right there, uh, very, very happy. Uh, he thought he knew what love was, right? He thought he knew what love was. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was a love, and it was love, but it was a love uh, before a lot of responsibility. It was free of responsibility. Uh, it was a love before mortgages and uh, power bills and car insurance, uh, before the stress of balancing work and family, uh, before children, but what a blessing they are, uh, before health challenges, before tragedy, right? before life happens. The love I felt for her in that picture was genuine. I mean, it was real, uh, but blissfully ignorant in a lot of ways. Uh, untested, immature. Now, the biggest challenge to our marriage wasn't what I didn't know, although there was a lot of that. Uh, it was what I thought I knew, or maybe put a different way, what I expected. Uh, I had expectations of her, and she had expectations of me. Now, some of those, 
some of those expectations we knew, right? We had counseling, right? And we had, you know, four or six sessions, uh, premarital counseling with the pastor to talk about those kinds of things. So some of those things we, we knew and some of which we thought we knew and some of which we had absolutely no idea about. And I'm convinced that expectations and more specifically unmet expectations are one of the biggest obstacles that we face in having marriages that last a lifetime. And I don't want to just want a marriage that lasts a lifetime. I want a happy marriage that lasts a lifetime. Where did you get your expectations about marriage? What marriage would be like? Do you remember? For some of us, it's a really long time ago and some not so long. Uh, but we, we all got our expectations from, from somewhere. Uh, you might have gotten your expectations about marriage uh, from TVs and movies. Right? Who here knows what a rom-com is? Right? Yes. Romantic comedy. What is the anatomy of a romantic comedy? We all know it, right? Uh, it's the same basic formula that goes into every romantic comedy, which is more or less boy meets girl, boy gets girl, boy does something incredibly stupid and loses girl, uh, boy makes romantic gesture and wins girl back, boy marries girl, there's a ridiculous dance scene that's perfectly choreographed at the wedding, uh, you know, and then cut to credits, right? If you can just make it to the dance scene, you're probably good to go, and they never show you much what happens after uh, that, uh, that part. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the movie TV, happily ever after, right? Uh, one of my favorite movie-based marriage expectations, by the way, is, and, and this is, you know, this is just a, a real one, uh, ex expectations that you go into with marriage that you get from TV and movie is that uh, you can have sex with whoever you want to uh, outside of marriage before that and expect that when you, your future spouse will just be cool with it, right? That you'll just go in and there won't be any repercussions. You just have that great wedding and dance party and everybody lives happily ever after. All kinds of expectations that we get from TV and movies about what marriage will and should be like and what we can expect from our partner. That's one place. What's another place? Family, right? Family. You get your expectations uh, from your family. What were mom and dad like? Or what was mom like? Or what was dad like? And my mom never and my dad always. And my family always. And why aren't you like that. Family creates expectations. Uh, you can't help it. I mean, for better or worse, you get your, a lot of your expectations are imprinted on you from the way, whether you, you may not want it like that, but it is, they're imprinted on you from your parents, the way that you grew up, even if you grew up in a single family or a single parent household. Uh, maybe you get them from your friends. My friend's wife always, my friend's husband never. When my friends got married, they 
had this, did that. You have expectations that you get from, from your friends, from your community. Uh, however you got them and however you bring them into the marriage, you bring them into the marriage. You have expectations that you bring into the marriage about work. We'll have two incomes, right? Because I'll work and she'll work. Well, or, well, obviously I'm going to work and she's going to stay home. Right? Should have had that conversation. We have expectations about finances. We'll have a big house, white picket fence, minivan, and a pickup truck. That's what it's going to look like. We have expectations about children. We'll have one, we'll have five, we'll have somewhere in between. They'll go to public school, they'll go to private school. We'll raise them as Baptists, we'll raise them as fill in the blank. We'll spend Christmas with my family. We'll spend Groundhog Day with your family. Expectations about sex. Maybe the least talked about expectation amongst Christians. It was fun having that counseling session with my dad. Um, expectations about watching sports. Random one I picked out. You expect that she'll love it and that you'll eat wings and watch baseball together for the rest of your life and then you suddenly find out not so much. And the list goes on. You know, there's nothing wrong with expectations. Right? The problem is that it's not the expectations themselves that get in the way of a great marriage. It's making your spouse responsible for your expectations that gets in the way of a great marriage. It's like you came into marriage with your expectations in a box, right? You came into marriage with your expectations in a box and you hand the box to your spouse and say, here you go, baby. Complete me. Now, there's no Jerry Maguire clip, but complete me. And your spouse says, well, I don't know what to do with your box, but I got a box of my own. Here you go. And so now you're both standing there with a couple of boxes of expectations that you didn't know that the other person had. Now, why didn't you see the box before you got married? Why didn't you know about all the things that are in the box? Well, because everybody hides their box so you don't freak the other person out. That's why. Everybody puts their best face on. Right? It's, all, it's, all, it's all part of it. Right? Now, Again, some expectations you talk about, maybe. Some you don't. Anyway, you're both standing there with a box full of things that your spouse expects from you. Or put another way, you're both standing there with uh, things that your spouse thinks that you owe them. Because saying that you expect something from somebody is just like saying they owe you something, right? And expectations... 
put this one up there. Expectations equal debt. And when somebody owes you something but doesn't pay, what happens? Right? I, I expect my wife to do be certain things. And when and that, that expectation is something she owes me. And when someone doesn't pay you the debt that they owe you, what happens? You get disappointed. You get resentful. Your opinion of that person is diminished. This isn't the way I thought it was going to be. You're not the person that I thought that you were. If somebody owes you something that they can't pay back, how do you feel? And if you owe somebody something that you can't pay back, how do you feel towards that person? Embarrassed? Like a failure? Ashamed? Resentful of that person's expectations of you? What if somebody owes you something and then they pay you? Then they just did what they were supposed to do. All right, great, you made my expectation. You're supposed to do that. That's your job. There's not a lot of gratitude there. They just did what they were supposed to do. They got themselves out of debt. They made it back up to zero now. You know, I owe, I owe Christian some money uh, right now for drum lessons. He hasn't called me out on it, but I, I owe him uh, some, some money. Um, and when I pay Christian that money, what is he going to do? He's not going to go, oh, Todd, thank you so much. He's going to go, dude, you owed me the money. It's about time. And that's fine for me and Christian. But a creditor-debtor relationship is not a healthy relationship for a marriage. So what does your spouse owe you? What expectation have you placed on your spouse that's created a creditor-debtor relationship? What's in the box that you've handed over to them and said, Completely, complete me, baby. Make all my hopes and dreams come true. If you want to build a marriage that lasts a lifetime, here's the attitude to have towards your spouse. You owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You owe me nothing. I owe you everything. I am for you. I'm for you. Now that's a relationship where each person is grateful for the other. Everything is gratitude. Nothing is owed. You're grateful for each other and grateful to God. And when a husband and wife both have that attitude, it's amazing how strong a marriage can be and the winds and storms that it can withstand. And I know this is true, not because... You know, I've had a long and lengthy 
marriage uh, like many of you have had, but it was modeled to me by my parents. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw an attitude of, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm for you, you're for me. I owe you everything, you owe me nothing. And when each person takes that, it doesn't make any sense, does it, right? I mean, how can that, how does that work? I owe you everything, you know, somebody's got to owe somebody something in that scenario. No. I mean, it's an attitude that's counterintuitive, right? And it's an attitude that's not popular in our culture. The attitude in our culture is a demand your rights. Don't let her step all over you. Don't let him step all over you. Assert yourself. Never take less than what you're owed. Win at all costs. It's not the world's way. But it is God's way. And God's way is always the best way. It's the attitude taught by the Apostle Paul. This is the instruction he gives to husbands and wives. Ephesians 5, 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this concept, right, of mutual submission. I submit to you and you submit to me. I'm for you, you're for me. You first, then me. No, you first, and then me. This concept was revolutionary in the ancient world. It turned, I mean, it, it, it turned the Christian community there, the, 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 the Jesus follower community, kind of on its head because that wasn't the attitude that existed in the first century or many centuries after that, right? What was the attitude, right? Man first, woman, second-class citizen at best, property at worst. There was no, this idea of mutual submission, I, I think it's, it, it's interesting if you attend some secular university classes where Bible is discussed like I did, and you hear the Apostle Paul and uh, the New Testament castigated uh, for a misogynistic view. It's just the opposite. Just the opposite. In a world that, that treated women as second class, the way said no. Men and women equal, mutually submitting to each other in the bonds of marriage. That's the way marriage should work. Paul said, husbands, put yourselves, put, put, put your wife above yourself. Wives, put your husbands before yourselves. Be for each other. Now, uh, 
I am not saying, and I want you to, because this, this is a series about marriage, I'm not saying before marriage. Uh-oh. I think marriage, I mean, it is about having a marriage that lasts a lifetime, but having a marriage that lasts a lifetime is not really about being committed to the institution of marriage, although I am. It's not just about grinding it out no matter what, right? I mean, ugh. I'm not sure that I love you and I don't even really like you right now, but dadgummit, we're gonna grind it out no matter what. Although there are gonna be hard times when you might not like that person you married very much. And you might have to go through times where you have to act right until you feel right. But it's not about being committed to the institution of marriage. It's about being fully committed to your spouse. Being for your spouse. And when you have that attitude, the commitment to marriage and the successful marriage follows. So... Here's some questions that I would ask you and you might discuss with your spouse or amongst yourselves later. What's in your box, right? Whether you're in your 10th year, 20th year of marriage, where you're, whether you hope to be married one day, what's in your box of expectations that you're gonna hand or you have handed to that unsuspecting spouse. Where do those expectations come from? What do you think your spouse owes you? Have you been treating your husband or your wife like a debtor? Are you willing to do what it takes to build a great marriage. You know, I've seen a lot of videos where these people are interviewed and they've been married for 75 years, you know, 80 years, oh man. And people ask, what's the secret to your marriage? What's, everybody wants to know what's the secret to a long marriage. And not just a long marriage, a, a great marriage. Miss Marie, I probably should, I should probably just bring Miss Marie up here. Let her tell me what the answer to that question is. But I think the common denominator we would find in all of those interviews and all of those explanations, everybody trying to find what's the secret. It's got to be about the other person. You don't owe me anything. I owe you everything. I'm for you, and you're for me. And if you make this commitment, right? So this is it. It's Valentine's Day, man. What better, way, what better day to make this, this commitment? She owes me nothing. 
He owes me nothing. I owe her everything. She owes me everything. I mean, one of the, the, the thing about the, the, the message in this is that, you know, it makes me have to be a better husband, right? But if you can make that commitment, if you can say those words and then live them out, and it's not easy, why? Man, I'm a selfish person. I mean, I'm selfish. You can call it sin nature or whatever you want to call it, but I'm, the truth is I'm about me a lot of the time. And that may be true for you too. But I tell you this, you want the, you want the secret sauce? You want a great marriage? That's what you do. Every day, all the time. And that's not some self-help advice. That's God's way. Through the Apostle Paul, he's told you what it takes. And in this series, we're going to be delving into the details of life, right? Where the rubber meets the road. Conflict, communication, finances, right, where we live, the areas in our lives where we live this out every single day. It's not complicated. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. So I hope you'll join me making that commitment a better day to do it. Uh, I hope you'll tune in for the uh, remaining portions of this series. Uh, If you're not um, married, uh, you're looking to be married one day, I hope you'll pay close attention uh, and, and get your marriage off on the right track. Share this with somebody. Encourage somebody uh, with it. Uh, Right now, as James said, uh, this is uh, a day when we're looking uh, and focusing on uh, safe harbor, life, uh, and generosity uh, to those who we, you know, as as a church, we say that we're committed to loving our community and helping those in need. One of the biggest ways we do that every year is through safe harbor. And I've asked Cassie, my beautiful Valentine, uh, to, to come share with us a, a little bit about uh, Safe Harbor and how we as a church this year can be more involved than ever. Good morning. I know y'all are all familiar with Safe Harbor. Um, because each year, this church does more than just say, I am pro-life. You show that you're pro-life by how much you love and support um, this uh, Safe Harbor program. 
Um, this ministry works very hard every year to save the lives of innocents, as well as love and support the mothers of each of these child, these children. Earlier this month, you saw a video um, of Safe Harbor that featured a young lady that participated in our Embrace Grace program. You played a vital role in both supporting Safe Harbor and supporting Embrace Grace. That young woman was going through a terrible time in her life, and she chose life because of um, what Safe Harbor does. She is thriving now because of what Embrace Grace at Milestone has done in her life and what the women at Safe Harbor have done for her. 2020 did a number on all of us, and Safe Harbor is no different Safe Harbor has two annual fundraisers, the Baby Bottle Boomerang, which I know y'all are familiar with, and the annual, bank, annual banquet. That, those two um, fundraisers is what helps Safe Harbor operate. Without those, Safe Harbor would not operate. And COVID has done a number on those fundraisers. Um, and then Sally hit. So Sally did a lot of damage to that 47-year-old building as well as uncover damage that was, has happened over the, the last 47 years. And Safe Harbor is also in need of a new ultrasound machine. Their ultrasound machine is so old that they cannot buy parts for it anymore. They can't calibrate it to where it needs to be any longer. Um, those machines cost anywhere from fifty to $80,000. But those machines play a vital role in allowing the mother to see her unborn child and realize that that is a life that she's carrying and have a connection with that child. So with that in mind, I want y'all to know, last year, this church alone gave fourteen hundred. That is a lot, and it goes a long way towards helping these women. Last year in 2020, in the midst of COVID, Safe Harbor still performed 464 ultrasounds. 464 women got to see their children on the ultrasound machine and got to have the information they needed to make the choice for life. So with $1,400 last year, you did a lot of good. But I want to challenge our congregation to hit the $3,000 mark. That will go a long way towards helping them get the ultrasound machine. And I think that we can do it. I know we can do it. Because this congregation has shown up in big ways for Safe Harbor, for Embrace Grace, and therefore each girl that has come through here and each girl that goes through Safe Harbor. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your love of this ministry and the Embrace Grace ministry. Amen. Thank you, Cassie. Before we close uh, today, I want to pray uh, for us. Uh, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, that my friend uh, Stacy Stephenson uh, is in the congregation with us. And uh, Stacy 
was a usher at our wedding way back, uh, way back when. Uh, and uh, has he and his wife, Marissa, have been great friends of our family uh, and uh, an, important, an important people in this church. Uh, although they've been, uh, they've been gone for, for a long time now, they're still very special to us. Uh, I want to pray. Uh, uh, Stacy lost his brother uh, this week. Uh, and uh, uh, a, uh, a huge loss. And I want to pray for the Stephenson family. Um, Stacy's brother, Sean, uh, who uh, also a friend uh, to us. Uh, and I'm sorry, my, my biggest memory of, uh, my biggest memory of Sean is this monster home run he hit in Laurel Hill. When I don't know why that sticks out to me, but the, he just, man, I don't know, curly hair, just such a fun, fun guy to, 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 to play ball with uh, on that team. But I know that the Stephenson family is hurting right now, so what I'd like to do is for us to just pray uh, together uh, and and then we'll, uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we live in a difficult time. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's overwhelming to us, the, the grief that exists in this world. Uh, I think, especially of the Stephenson family uh, today, there are no words that I can say that can provide comfort uh, to them only you can provide encouragement and strength that they need. Uh, and I pray that you, you would give them peace in the days to come. I pray that in all this, you would work to draw people closer to you. I pray for my friend Stacy, that you would give him the strength uh, that he needs, that he would feel your love now more than ever that he would lead his family uh, and that they would be close to you. I thank you for the opportunity to minister to people through this church. I pray that marriages would be strengthened through this series. I pray that lives would be touched and influenced for you uh, through Safe Harbor and the role that we play there. Despite the pain that we feel sometimes and the uncertainty of this world, let us not retreat into our shells, but let us be more motivated to show your love to a community and a world that desperately, desperately needs to see that you are the only hope, the only strength in that Without you, Father, there is, uh, there is no hope in the world. We love you. Thank you for the opportunity to be with your, in your house with your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.